0: You're listening to A Working File, a podcast about design and its relationship with the world. My name is Andy Mangold. And I'm Matt McInerney. On this episode, we're going to discuss the relationship between design and politics. Also, I don't know what politics means anymore. What is anything? Who knows anything anymore? Tonight, uh, we have Maurice joining us again. Uh, Maurice's second episode with us. Welcome back, Maurice.
1: Thank you for having me back.
0: And then we have a new contributor. Uh, joining us all the way from the other coast of the country is designer Robin Kanner. Hello, Robin. Hello. Hi, hi, hi. Thank you for taking the time to join us tonight. And I hope you will join us for many episodes in the future. And this is the beginning of a beautiful, beautiful podcast friendship. I love that. Um, let's get right down to business tonight. None of this... Joking around, none of this, you know, small talk, because we got a big topic that I want to at least begin to discuss. Uh, I, I feel like this is something that's not going to be entirely contained in one episode, but you know, there's got to be a first episode. So here we are, beginning the conversation, and um, you know, I think there's a little bit of backstory that's probably necessary here, which is to say that we, uh, one of our goals with this show is that it not be tied to like specific time as much as possible. So mm-hmm. we're not going to talk about like the thing that happened on Tuesday on Wednesday, and it's not your it's not your design news podcast. We aim for these shows to be as evergreen as possible, right? I hope if people listen in two or three years, it's still somewhat meaningful to them, and it doesn't lose all of its sort of meaning. Um, sure. That said, this will be the seventh episode of the show when it comes out, uh, and all six prior episodes were all recorded before the election that happened in November. Uh, this will be the first one in this brave new world we find ourselves living in. Oh boy. uh, So the topic at hand tonight is the relationship between design and politics. And I think it is, it goes without saying, I hope that uh, I found a newfound uh, importance in this conversation, given the results of the election in November. It feels more pressing than ever. Uh, And I think that there's a lot of people out there that maybe for the first time are feeling energized. They feel like the political... Situation is something you need to pay attention to. It's something that uh, is important or dangerous uh, or something that needs attention. Maybe they're trying to get involved for the first time or think about their career relative to the political landscape for the first time. Um, So I wanted to have a conversation about how we as humble designers can relate to policy, public policy and politics. Um, So our our guests, of course, are Maurice and Robin, and and Maurice, you've had experience working with uh, local government before, and we're going to get to that in a little bit. Uh, But Robin, you're joining us specifically because uh, I followed you for a while on Twitter. And Mm -hmm. you oftentimes uh, sort of extol the virtues of how design is inherently political and are kind of talking about the political nature of design. Um, So I thought we'd actually just start by having you kind of explain your perspective a little bit so that uh, maybe people that haven't considered design a political thing, right? I'm out here drawing logos. I'm making posters. I'm designing a branding system. How is what am I doing political? I'm just, you know, a designer.
2: Sure. Oh, you're so much more than just a designer. Um, so yeah, I would say that my, my like sort of large overall premise is that, um, the decisions that we make as designers, um, are conscious of a cultural landscape that's happening around us. Um, and because of that, it's sort of politicized, um, the decisions we make can influence a conversation. It can influence how somebody reacts to something given like a a cultural moment that's happening it could shift their feelings about whatever it is that you designed um so all of that kind of together makes sort of the process of making a decision and design political for me
0: and when you say making a decision to design you mean like i'm designing this thing what color am i going to make this or what font am i going to choose like that kind of stuff does it does it really apply on such a sort of small detailed level
2: I mean I would argue that it does. Um it kind of depends on the project that you're working on though. Like I think how design is political and visual practice could be a little bit different than UX versus IA or you know the m- myriad of other ways that people identify as designers. Um I would say that like you know if you're you know if you're a UX designer and you're working on like a large scale product um that could be hitting like a various like part of the country, um, you have like new edge cases to consider. Um, and part of those edge cases could be political. Um, or if you're a visual designer and you're doing something on gender, the color spectrum that you use could be political. Um, how you handle accessibility in your practice could show like what you believe as a company. So all those decisions together could like be very well seen as political. And I think it's good for designers to be conscious of that.
0: Yeah, I I agree too. I I think that it's much more obvious that something is political, like you said, when you're working on a product and you're deciding, you know, should we show someone's age and location and, you know, gender identity on this profile or should we not? Uh, Or should we build this thing so that it's accessible and people that maybe don't have the best vision can still use it? Like, those things are more overtly political, but I also agree with you that I think visual design uh, has to be political as well, and I feel like some people are eager to talk about the power of visuals, the power of graphics uh, when it's convenient to them. And when it's not convenient to them, they're like, oh, this is just me making frivolous shapes and colors. So what does it matter? It's not anything. And then, you know, on the flip side, they'll be like, oh, but this thing I made is an important cultural artifact and it means a lot and it represents this big idea. And I feel like you can't have it both ways. If if you are someone that is a designer because you believe in the power of imagery and the power of communication, then you have to inherently believe in that power when you, you know, maybe inadvertently do something that, you know, offends somebody or didn't di- didn't send the message you, you, you meant for it to send?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of that goes back to ownership, right? Like, I think if, if you're a designer and you're able to own that kind of decision that you make, it's a lot different than somebody saying like, oh yeah, I made this like print magazine and I only did it this way because my boss told me and I didn't really own it, he just told me what to do or whatever is like that. Like. I think that's a different conversation too, um, versus whether you're psyched about something and you own it and you're like really into the responsibility that it carries. I think that will hand, like that'll shift how you handle like feedback on whatever it is that you just made. That's definitely part of it too, right?
0: It's it's much easier to, at the very least, um, feel like you can make your values known if you are in a position to make decisions about a project. If you are. Working as a junior designer, or if you're a freelancer out there that feels like they're struggling to find work, if you don't really have the luxury of turning down clients that don't philosophically or politically agree with them, I think it's a lot harder to sometimes figure out how politics practically relates to you, right? Because you're like, well, I've got to do this thing, and I've got to make my money to pay my rent. So if I am asked to design something where it's like, ah, it's kind of sketchy, how do you actually like, you know, say no to that, or should you say no to that?
2: Yeah. I mean, uh, it's a tough one. Um, it's tough because it depends on like the, the, the largest like landscape. I think like for me, um, I've been single for the majority of my life. So I haven't had to like bury the weight of like a family relying on the decisions that I make on what I design or what I don't design. And I think I would probably approach it a little bit differently if I did. Um, but because of that, I've been in a position to basically say no, what I don't want to do something because I feel like it's off or I'll take the time to send an email being like, I'm really glad that you're stoked on this idea, but have you considered X, Y, and Z? Um, and maybe they have, maybe they hadn't. Um, I think there's also, you know, a lot to be said about this idea of, you know, if, if I don't take it on, somebody else is going to take it on. So it's probably going to exist in the world anyways. So do I want to be the person to influence it in the best way I can? Um, those are, those are all questions to maybe consider.
0: Yeah. I'm actually curious. I'll put this to everybody. Um, who here has actually turned down a project for a political stance they hold? I have. I have done that. Yep. So, so we've all done that then.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: Uh, so I, I, I'll tell one of mine. I'm curious to hear what other kind of projects you all have turned down. Obviously, if you can't talk about it, you can't talk about it. But uh, the one thing in my career we've turned down at work was that we got contacted by a shooting range like a like a fancy shooting range in Vegas that you know prides itself on having particularly dangerous guns and you know just really steeped in the whole like guns as entertainment culture um and that's the one thing we've ever had where it felt like This is like in class when you're when you're talking about when you're talking in senior seminar in school and they're like, what are you going to do if a cigarette (laughs) company wants you to design their carton? And I'm like, this feels like that. And we're just going to have to turn this one down on those grounds. Um, What are some things you all turned out if you can talk about them?
2: Uh, so uh, I co-founded this site called My Trans Health um, in the middle of it getting a lot of press we got reached out by uh, a VC type person that basically like sat us down for coffee and was like hey we just saw that you got a bunch of press for making like this trans healthcare site trans people are pretty hot on the internet right now how about you stop making that healthcare site we'll pay you a bunch of money to make a TMZ for trans people whoa, whoa.
3: <laughs> that's oh, yeah. uh
2: that's interesting. <laughs> no joke.
3: I mean, it seems like that was an obvious one, but that did did that, did you sway you at all?
2: Uh, did it sway me? Well, I mean, we didn't talk after that moment. Um, I was, we were just kind of like, okay, well, I guess I, we're going to leave right now. <laughs> Thank yeah, you and, and very much.
0: That one's especially obvious, too, because that person was also asking you to essentially abandon the mission of the site that you set out to you know, accomplish this goal for. Correct. Uh, like, like for example, I specifically remember this, this this gun range's website was, like, the perfect project for us in every way, except for the fact that it was a gun range, right? So, you right. know, we pride ourselves in building custom software, and this was a perfect site where they had this unique problem, and there wasn't any software that already existed to solve their problem, and, like, doing the scheduling for the ranges would have been a really cool problem to solve, but... uh <laughs> So like that, it was really just a content thing. Yours was even more intense because it was like, no, no, please, please stop doing that good you're doing in the world and
2: instead do some trash for me. Trash me. Right. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Basically, that was the interaction. Uh, But what else does everyone else have? Uh, I probably have to be semi vague about mine, but
3: I feel like mine was not as obvious or as easy to just be like, no, you're the worst. Go away. (laughs) Um, It was just an institution that I just didn't feel like held to the same standards as I would believe it should if that's vague enough for you. Um, but it was just really hard because it, like, it seemed like a really good job. It, was, it seemed like plenty of money. Uh, it seemed like it would sustain us for a period of time. But every, like every, it was more than me making the decision because I, I work with a couple of partners and uh, everyone was just kind of like, eh, it would be good money, but I don't feel comfortable with it. And it was just enough people being not comfortable after a week of thinking about it. Right. It wasn't so obvious as just, I don't want to stop doing good in the world, or I don't want people to shoot each other.
0: <laughs> what, what about you, Maurice? Can you talk about any of the ones you've turned down?
1: Yeah, sure. So I've done work uh, at both, well, not both, at the state, the local, and the federal level in terms of design. So Triple threat. Uh, <laughs> but, but I think, you know, the question that, that every designer has to ask, particularly if they're looking into, you know, how do they get more involved, or, or how do they... Um, I guess, form some sort of an ethical guideline, you know, about their work is, you know, how far should you go to make sure your clients kind of meet your moral tests? I think in each of the instances that have been put forth so far, it's kind of it's pretty clear. You don't want to turn my trans health into a tabloid gossip site. You don't want to work and do things for a shooting range. You know, like those are pretty clear cut here in Georgia. Georgia is a, a red state. Um, I have ended up doing a lot of work, or Republicans. I've done a lot of work for Democrats as well. What I found is that politicians are just politicians in general, uh, regardless of which side of the aisle they're on. Granted, what they say to their constituents is what they have to say in order to get votes, but I mean, pol- politicians tend to be pretty shady in general. So you end up having to go more on the individual than just on what their party stance is. Uh, but I've turned down things like that. Uh, Atlanta is a big entertainment city, so I have at times gotten a lot of adult work, like adult entertainment type work, which I'm not morally opposed to doing it, but the problem is you can't show that, you know, if you do that work, it's hard to go. I mean, that's a, that's a road. Once you've went down that road, you're now the adult designer. It's mm-hmm, hard right. to kind of pull it. Not back a lot of
0: branches that. off of that, off of that path. Probably I would guess. Right.
1: And I, I mean, and I've, I've certainly gotten, you know, those kinds of approaches before. And it's like, I, you know, I can't really do it because not because I have a moral opposition to it, but more so, I can't show this work. I can't put this in a portfolio. Who am I going to show this to? Right. You know, I, I, it it doesn't. It wouldn't make sense for me as a designer in order to do that.
0: And it, something you said really resonated with me, Maurice, which is that you have to decide how, like, you know. So there's a spectrum, right? And and you, each of us sits somewhere politically on this spectrum. And the question is, like, how far deviated from me does this? client or potential project, or if you're, you know, working as an employee, does my boss or this company I'm working for, how far deviated from me does this have to be before I'm saying this is going to cross the line? And, and one of the things that I'm still struggling with is that I was very much raised and spent most of my life with the opinion of, you know, If you disagree with somebody that is not, you know, grounds to disrespect them, it's not grounds to, you know, write them off or disregard them. And we kind of have to, I was raised with the idea that you should kind of hold people's opinions and ideas as like sacred, like you're allowed to have your opinion and that's your thing. And that shouldn't preclude us from working together or being friends or whatever, you know, the sort of context is. And as I've gotten older and gotten more politically engaged, I more and more feel like, Yeah, but some of these people, their whole philosophy (laughs) is that they don't like other people. Their whole philosophy is that they don't care if this population is hurt or uh, disenfranchised or whatever. So I don't feel like it's a thing where I can just be like, oh, well, you know, you and I disagree on this thing, but, you know, water under the bridge. Treat your own. You know, as that happens, it becomes more difficult for me to say where on that spectrum I'm going to draw the line. and. You know, Matt, I'll I'll give a similarly vague example. You know, some projects we have taken in the past have been for companies that, you know, uh, for example, it's a company of 30 people, and they're literally all white men. And it's like, okay, this is clearly something that I think is a problem. Uh, This is a problem I've called out in the industry elsewhere. This is a thing that I do not stand behind and think, you know, needs rectified. So do I take this job? And in those situations, I was like, yeah, I think I do, because... In those moments I feel like I'm just this little person and I have my little opinion and even though I, I believe in it, I, I don't believe in it enough that I can say, You're doing this thing wrong, company who is big and been around for a long time, therefore you don't get to work with us.
3: So Well also do you think like if I whack things up that much, uh maybe I don't get to work with anybody? If I make enough excuses that um like an old company that doesn't maybe respect the idea of diversity, like I'm sure you can find a problem similar to that to everywhere, and now you don't have any clients, and now you don't get to do any work or make any decisions.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's certainly where you can extrapolate it to. I would love to only work for the ACLU and you know Planned Parenthood and some other organizations that are just doing great work in the world, but very few people, I think, have that privilege. Or maybe not. Maybe I just haven't tried hard enough. I don't know. I mean, I, I could probably quit and go get a job designing for one of those companies, I guess.
2: I think like there's also this this thing about, just like th- that example, too. Like, I kind of... So I always like break out the idea of like whether being a freelance designer to um, being a professional, like not professional, but like an in-house designer as like whether you're renting a house or buying a home. Um, And like, I think when you're renting a house and like you're in that freelance like situation, it's like, I think at least in the past, I've approached design a lot differently in the room when I've been freelance. And because of that, like. That conversation with the thirty like white dude VPs is a lot different than when you like when you own a house and you're you're in office every day with them. Um, so I think that shifts like whether you say yes or no and like how that goes for you too, right? Sure. Yeah. yeah absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. It, you know. Do you do you find to
3: have more power in one situation than another? Because I've been in both. I've been not exact that exact situation, but like sure. I've been in two similar ones, and I now can't decide which is more powerful or better. Because it a freelancer, you, sure. you can just walk away. The other one, you're stuck with them, but the other one, they might know
2: you better, respect you more. Freelancer, what power do you have? Well, I, I've seen freelancers have a ton of power. Like one of the things that I saw the most when I was freelancing was that whenever I was in the room and there was already an in-house designer, basically whatever I go and say is something that they've already said. But just because I'm an outside voice, my opinion like means more to them or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Consulting <laughs> you bias. paid a higher
3: hourly rate. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh.
2: And like, I'm guilty of that, too. I remember being like at smaller companies and like wanting to get a thing through a company and like a bunch of people being like, oh, well, you're just like that one person that we've gotten comfortable within the office so maybe you're right about this or maybe you're not and i've just like been like oh well you should hire this person to say the exact same thing i'm going to tell you um and then they do and then i get to, to to make the thing that i want um so like that's happened for sure too a lot
1: yeah i think you definitely have more power being the freelancer because depending on i guess what the relationship is as you've approached the client or if the client has approached you you're still in the position of being the expert um, right. and so if you're able to at least put forth your moral obligations to say, I won't do it because of this, or I won't do it because of that. You know, whether or not they choose respect it is up to them, but you're the one that has the power to say yes or no.
0: So it's interesting because I, I agree with that kind of assessment of the consulting bias, which is something I've definitely experienced, where I think what it comes down to is like a sunk cost fallacy, right? Like we pay this consulting company X dollars to solve this problem. So they're giving us a solution. That must be the solution. Even if, mm-hmm. like you said, somebody internally has been saying for months, if we just did this but no one right. hears, you know, so-and-so. Um, but it's different for me because, you know, we're being hired to usually build a website. And when you hire, hire someone to build a website, you don't automatically assume they're also the expert on X moral, sure. ethical kind of, you know, whatever thing. Like we're not being hired as business management consultants or, you know, diversity consultants or whatever the sort of issue at hand might might be. So I, I, I definitely, we I don't feel comfortable in those situations being like, we're here to build your website, but while we're here, we wanted to point out that your family leave policy isn't really inclusive to, <laughs> you know, people that are adopting or whatever right. the sort of thing is that I care about, but I'm not there to do. I, I also want to talk a bit about, like, the practical side of things. Maurice, I want to hear more about the work you've done for government at all the different levels how you got those jobs, uh, what your experience has been, how you compare those sort of jobs to the private sector, and I'll say that you know I personally, though we've tried a couple times to get contracts at a couple different governmental levels uh, mm-hmm. at, at work we've just we've never gotten any of the contracts for whatever reason, so we've never had a chance to work for any real government organization, so that's something I, I, I want to hear more about, and I think probably some listeners too who haven't experienced it might find it interesting.
1: okay, so I'll, st- I'll start at federal since that's kind of the highest one. So with federal, I've worked uh, for, for two different federal agencies, and it's been different in how I, I – I don't want to say how I approached it, but how I worked for them. So the first one was as an intern. I interned at NASA and did work uh, at Ames Research Center out in Moffett Field, California. So in that instance, you're, you're there on the base. You're working directly with people to make graphics. At the time, I was doing it for their uh, robotics education initiative that they were doing. So it was building out websites, it was making graphics, it was making flyers. It wasn't super sexy work. it certainly certainly wasn't anything that was really public facing to hundreds and thousands of people, but for the local community, for the schools that that initiative worked with out of that uh, NASA facility, they got to see it, and so it was important for them to be able to get that information, of course, important for me to communicate the certain initiatives and the you know software and the hardware and the things that that we had to do now when i started my business and you know started doing rfps or responding to rfps that's a totally different that's a totally different ball game Mm -hmm. usually with local and state and federal the way that design is sort of meted out is done through a rfp or request for proposal and these can be sent out through a number of different ways generally if you're registered with the state or with the city as a vendor you will get emails that will have particular job codes that relate to what kind of work it is that you do. So if I'm a web designer, say my code is 072. And so I'll get all of the RFPs that come out for 072, you know, type job codes. And then I can look at the RFP and decide whether or not I want to respond to that in order to bid for that job. Now, it is a bid thing. So none of it is a a sure bet. You could go through the entire RFP process and not get the job. It is completely normal um a large part of that is because of open records laws and things like that uh they have to do the rfps and just because they do the rfps it doesn't necessarily mean that they will choose someone from that rfp process they may choose a vendor that they've already worked with you know tens of dozens of times sure but they go through the open process because they have to because that's the law they have to do that and
0: uh, it's worth mentioning here, at one point we got approached and basically asked to submit a proposal through an RFP for like a city's website. Uh, it, it wasn't Baltimore, it was a different city, it doesn't matter. But uh, something that was really interesting that actually caused us not to submit a proposal is that the person that reached out to us just straight up told us like, we'd love for you to submit a proposal, someone referred you to, uh, or referred you to us and we think it'd be a great fit for the job. Uh, by the way, we are obligated by law to take the lowest proposal no matter what it is. Yeah. and I was like, uh, record scratch? And right. <laughs> like, if, if you think about it for a second, it actually kind of makes, well, it doesn't make sense, but you can see why someone would have made that law, right? Because you put the RFP out, you say what you need. If you get 10 bids back, all promising you what you need, why not take the one that's cheapest? Because they're going to give you what you need. Uh, right. But I think anybody that works in, I don't know, any industry knows that that's not necessarily the recipe for getting the best work uh, or even right. the best value for work. So when we saw that, we're like, so you we, we write in the proposal doesn't matter as long as we just say we'll do the thing and here's the number. And they were like, yeah, basically. So yeah. so we didn't bother submitting for that one.
1: I mean, the good thing is that if you, if you do land that, I mean, it's good money if you can get it because it is the projects do tend to be very long. Uh, they do tend to pay on time. And so if you do manage to land the project, it can be pretty lucrative, especially if you maintain a good relationship with them and they continue to go to you for more work kind of moving forward. But even to reply to the RFP, it's not just as simple as sending in an email or sending in a proposal. Oftentimes, and this will vary, I think, depending on the agency or the city or the state, but you'll have to submit things in print, oftentimes in triplicate, in binders, on CDs. It can be a pretty, you know, it can be a big cost to even put together what your bid is going to be for the proposal. So you have to decide when you get it and look through it. So you know, is this even worth worth doing it? You know, that's that's another consideration.
0: But something that I think is important to note is that I am depressed by the idea that especially (laughs) especially young and, you know, engaged designers would look at a process like that and decide it's not worth it. Uh, And instead, you know, whatever company has been doing this for 15 years and just basically has the proposal process all laid out in a folder and they just paste the things in and hit send. Um, I, I, I hate the idea that those are the companies that will get jobs like this. Um, and so, the one thing I always tell people when that, when dealing with bureaucracy is that I always try to be empathetic to bureaucracy, because it's very easy to look at it and think, oh, this is just a horrible system. Everything's broken. Look how much work it takes to get a job for the government. Why do I have to do this thing in triplicate? We still have to do it in print, and that's so ar- archaic and old-fashioned. But all those things are in place for a reason, usually, uh, yeah. even if it's not necessarily still a good reason, and it's not for any, like, one malicious, you know, organization's you know, uh, actions that this process is maybe not ideal. which um, just comes right back to like me saying, like I, I can imagine why it makes sense to say we should take the lowest proposal, right? Like I'm, it doesn't make me mad that that's how that works. I don't think it's unjust. I, I imagine it, I understand it. And the reality for that particular one is the math worked out. Okay, we're just not going to submit a proposal here because it's not worth our time. But um, I, I do want to encourage, especially young people to be, to think about that a little bit and not just automatically assume that bureaucracy is not worth it because, we have a, uh, you know, an instant gratification culture.
1: And I have worked for some state agencies where that is the case. I mean, I've been in the office and seen proposals as they've come in. And yes, they'll come in and the binders and everything. And then we'll flip right to the pricing page and see if it's in our budget. All the other stuff we'll get to later. We just want to make sure that what you're bidding is going to, you know, be in line with what we can actually afford. Seems reasonable. Well, it does does seem reasonable. And I don't want to say, I mean, I'm saying these things because this is one way that, you know, designers, depending on if they're freelancers or agencies, et cetera, can work with, you know, state government, city government, federal government. I mean, there are other ways that it could be done. For example, if you are a registered uh, woman-owned business or minority-owned business with your state, that often means that there are going to be projects that might be set aside just for those types of businesses. So it can make things a little bit easier in terms of you're not necessarily fighting for the general pool of work. You might be doing something that is more specialized. So, for example, um, I had an agency that reached out to me from New York that was looking for minority owned businesses, just in general, minority owned design businesses to work on the Obama Foundation website. Now, my company, unfortunately, is not minority registered here in Georgia. It's a long process. And for companies I know that have done it, it hasn't necessarily meant that they've gotten more work. It's been a good designation to have, but it doesn't necessarily guarantee the work. And so I did have to, unfortunately, turn it down because I didn't meet that particular criteria. But it can be something which can sort of tip the hat in your favor if that's the case.
0: So do you have any advice, Maurice, when it comes to practically, I guess, let me step back a little bit first. Do you feel like the work you've had a chance to do for government at these different levels has had a like net positive effect on the world? Is it like is it good work or is it like, well, I got this government job and it pays well, but I'm really just over here you know rearranging the uh the deck furniture on the Titanic uh, like, like how has it felt doing that work
1: uh I, I'm gonna be honest it's been a little bit of both. I mean, don't get me wrong <laughs> those those big long projects they keep the bills paid, they keep the lights on. That's great. And when you have those, you also have the opportunity to take on maybe some more meaningful projects and and things of that nature. Uh, You know, and one thing I want to say, regardless of if you want to work and or do some type of work for city government, state government, federal government, it is really still all about relationships. It's really all about still getting to know designers, getting to know other people that might work in those spheres because they could recommend you in the case that they can't do the work or something like that. I would say it's probably, if you're a designer that has no idea where to start, it's probably going to be much easier for you to get involved at the city level than anywhere else because every city has you know a city council. You can meet your councilman. They often have public meetings. They put all this information up on their city website for free. You can attend these meetings. Get to know whoever your local council person is or district person is. Let them know what you do and who you are. And there's chances that they could have work for you. They may not just have known who to go to specifically for that. Um, I know that we we as designers probably rag a lot on government websites in general about how poor they look and and everything like that. Chances are the designer, if they have a designer, they're probably swamped with work. And so that might be why it doesn't look so good or why it's not You know, this great, really well-designed website, it may just be overworked and underpaid, more than likely overworked. Uh, But in terms of just even trying to get involved on the local level, and I, I mentioned this actually in my podcast, Revision Path, I've talked to people and told them that ways you can get involved are going to local neighborhood meetings, you know, designing flyers, you know, maybe see if you can volunteer if there's, like right here in Atlanta right now, our mayoral race is going on see if there's ways you can volunteer your services. And it's not going to be, you know, this big, great, sexy work again, but it could be the kind of work that ends up being seen at a bunch of different places. It's work that does go towards a certain common good. Like if you believe in a certain candidate and what they say and what they're about, doing that kind of work for them can be very fulfilling. Uh, in 2009, I was uh, the director of do media for a mayoral campaign here in Atlanta, and we did everything from websites to social media to print t-shirts, flyers, you name it. And that work got seen by people all over the city. I still get business from that work. And that was in 2009. So the work still does have an impact. And I've been able to build on that to do other work, to do work for the city of Atlanta, to do work for a couple of state senators here in, um, in Atlanta. And it's just kind of branched out from there. So building those relationships is important, but also just getting involved at the local level. Um, I'm remembering something that uh, Mike Montero said in a Medium post uh, for Dear Design Student where he talks about citizen designers <clears throat> and how in order to be a citizen designer, you kind of have to be a citizen first. Uh, there's a really good book by Elizabeth Resnick called Developing Citizen Designers that talks about how designers can learn to practice their work in a socially responsible way, how they can take their abstract ideas and turn them into concrete things that can help their community out. I would recommend checking that book out for anyone that kind of just wants to get a good primer on things they might be able to do or what the the thought process is behind doing that. But getting involved at the local level can be a lot easier than you think.
0: I I think that it's important for especially younger designers to know those jobs do exist uh, and they are You know, in in many situations, I oftentimes feel like it's difficult for somebody who is trying to hire a designer for some city government or, you know, state government website to rise above the kind of noise of the tech world right now, for example, Uh, or even like design culture in certain states. Like it's a very kind of specific culture that encourages a certain type of job and it really raises up certain types of things. Um, but those jobs exist. They're out there. Uh, you know, we, we know people that have these jobs. So if that's something that, if you really feel like you want to get engaged, uh, that's a great thing to do is go figure out if you can get a job working directly on these issues,
2: you know, as a primary source. Um, yeah, I, I think I would, I would just say like, too, like the idea of doing like politics and design, I think it's important to remember that you can do politics and design, not in politics a lot of the times. um, it like it kind of comes down to like if you're in office and you're working like as a um person in tech or you know person in ad, like you can still have influence in a political discussion even though you're not working on a campaign necessarily too
0: absolutely that's a, and then thats
2: yeah. that's
0: where I want to take the conversation too, because um the reality is probably still that the vast majority of people that will hear this uh, will not work for government now <laughs> or in the future. <laughs> they are working for design studios they are working for tech companies they are working for Whatever for profit business, whatever thing capitalism has deigned to to grant us with uh because that's where the jobs are right so sure. if you're in one of those jobs uh the, the question then becomes you know what what practically can you do right so you can obviously turn down a job for a company that you believe to be monstrous uh you can try and get a job that you know skews that way, but uh, just being selfish, thinking of this from my own perspective. Uh, most of our clients end up being in like the e-commerce space, right? So our clients are selling fonts or they're selling t-shirts or they're selling boots or they're selling rugs and interior design stuff. They're selling stuff. Uh, I kind of put those, that whole world, the whole e-commerce world, like somewhere between neutral and like slightly bad for the whole world, right? Like encouraging (laughs) consumerism, encouraging this kind of, uh, you know, all these sites try and make... Something you don't have look nicer than the thing you have, right? It's this kind of encouraging dissatisfaction amongst your audience such that they want to give you money to have a piece of that satisfaction you can sell them. Um, I oftentimes struggle with, okay, these are the jobs we have. These are, this is the market we we're established in. We can make the most money just making e-commerce websites all day every day, you know, doing whatever. And sometimes I wonder, you know there's this kind of we could try and get more jobs that are better for the world and you know fight that good fight. Uh, or we could just take every e-commerce job that comes, you know, do whatever's going to make us the most money, and then donate some of that money to an organization, uh, which I think is also a viable way to kind of decide how your impact on the world is going to be. Uh, and I feel like there's also other ways to kind of cut that up. So if you're in a practical job, and Robin, I'll throw it back to you. If you have a job somewhere, you work for, for Amazon now, um, how do you rectify, or not, not rectify, how do you reconcile your... Political views with having a normal job and you know <laughs> not changing the world through you know political imagery and that kind of stuff
2: sure i mean um so prior to amazon i was mostly like freelance in startup world and like obviously how i approach design there is much different than how i do now um but that being said like at the core, my work is still about figuring out the best way for a stranger to talk to a different stranger about a thing. That's like a shared <laughs> moment between them. Like that's generally like I, like, I look back on like every single piece of work that I've ever done. And it kind of comes down to this idea of like a stranger interacting with a thing and like how they feel about it and like, you know how like their experiences with it. Um, and that, that's such a political conversation to have. Um, and like there shows there's, sure, there's things of biases for me to consider while I'm doing that. And I, you know, make design decisions on data more than I ever have in my life. Um, but you know, data also comes in quantitative to qualitative, but I mean, it depends. I think a lot of the times what I found through like, just like, you know, when like when my trans dropped, there was a lot of like tech companies that reached out to me. Um, so I was interviewing with like the, uh, the sort of like main big ones in the world. Uh, and you know, how I talked about design varied to how they wanted to talk about design. And um, I kind of had to make decisions on what I was going to be comfortable with and what I wasn't going to be comfortable with. And like, if I got into the room, could I throw wrenches into systems like from the beginning and how I kind of set those parameters for people? Um, So like for me, I don't even know if it's really about like rectifying like my feelings about doing the work that I do as much as it is knowing what it is and how I can influence it in the best way. Um, And then ultimately like really designing a great experience. But if I catch something, um, you know, I think when you design at such a large scale, like, you know, if you, if I design something that works for 99.9% of the people, I'm still screwing like hundreds of thousands of people. So like really kind of vying for that edge case um, is a more of a political uh, kind of feeling, I think for design.
1: Now, I have a question I just want to kind of throw out to, to everyone. Do you feel that all, excuse me, do you feel that all design is political?
3: Yeah. I guess in a sense it is, right? Like, I, uh, honestly, it feels like if, if I'm having a hard day, I'll be like, uh, no, it's not. I just want to make these decisions and go home. This is difficult. But if I'm really thinking about it, it seems hard not to make a political decision in everything you do. Like, even just setting up a... Checkout page and picking their form fields, like you're making assumptions about people, uh, making decisions for them. It's not like it can't not be biased in some way, and in that sense, it has to
2: be right. And when I say pol- you know, it's important to say like when we say design is political, and that doesn't mean that every single designer has like this liberal agenda either. Um, it means that they're but they should approaching. <laughs> well, no, I mean like maybe they should, maybe they shouldn't. Like I don't want to push that on people for sure. Like I know how I feel about the world. Um, and I know how I represent it, but that doesn't mean that like every designer is gonna share that belief system with me. But what I do think is important for designers is understanding the cultural landscape, understanding the biases that they have or they don't have, so that they're able to make a political decision um, that benefits everyone, right? Like if you look at politics, like it's kind of reiterated in Obama's speeches, every single day he talks is this idea of, you know, we're one house, we're one center, we're all in this pieces together. So political decisions, really, for me, are about designing for everybody. They're not just about designing for that one core group that I identify with.
0: I agree with you 100%. And the thing I will add is that what has been true for me and everybody I've ever been close to is that the more you do that first thing you said, Robin, which is just, I don't have to agree with you. or I don't have to be liberal or progressive. I just have to, you know, try to understand the audience and, like, you know vouch for, for everybody, right? Like really understand everyone's different perspective. I found that if you take the time to understand everyone's perspective, you end up liberal and progressive because then you actually (laughs) understand people that are not just yourself. And that leads to a certain type of political thing. I mean, anecdotally, it certainly seems like, uh, designers in most creative fields, uh, altogether do tend to skew, progressive is what i'll say liberal whatever you know but progressive certainly um and i think that's why honestly like if if you're say, is
3: that a coincidence or is that just if your job is thinking about other
0: people more frequently is
3: that uh is that a way you're gonna lean because it's hard like it's hard to not think about how other people use something all the time and not think about who those people are i guess it's not hard
2: but design like I think in order to do design really well, you have to understand sociology. And like, the more you dive deeper into sociology, the more that you might... I don't want to say... like I really don't want to call it out like you're going to push out like a liberal agenda because you might push out like, an anarchist agenda or like a super conservative one. But the reality is, is you're going to be more conscious of people. Um, so I think that inherently shifts like how you approach design.
3: Like, I don't think you even have to say it's liberal or not. I do think the idea that it leans... It pushes you in a direction. But I, I think you can say something like... Is, like, empathy is a skill you develop? Um, I was
2: going to say, empathy is a buzzword white dudes are getting hired for saying. Oh, that's true. That's very true.
3: <laughs> that's very true. But I think it's not It's not a thing that, like, uh, I don't know if it's as inherent. Like, I think you have to develop it and think about it and learn about it. It's not just, like, you're a inherently more empathetic person than someone else.
1: Oh, you, you absolutely have to develop it. It's not a skill that I think that comes relative. And I think that could also be just based on maybe the type of design that you're doing. I mean, granted, you know, as a designer, you work for people. With people, that means there's some kind of purpose to it. So inherently, that does mean all design is political because that purpose should connect to society in some kind of way. But I think we have all seen very unempathetic designers that might be good at what they do, but they can't break out of whatever that that bubble is or they can't break out of those blinders to understand the perspectives of other people.
0: And I'll say, too, in addition to the job of designing most things, forcing you to confront the way other people think, which is me trying to avoid saying the word empathy, but just basically defining it. Um, <laughs> in addition to that, like working on software products that are used by lots of people that have analytics on them that we're attempting to optimize. Uh, if, if doing that job has convinced me so much That it's not that people don't have free will because every individual does have free will, but it is so evident how systematic changes affect what most people will do, what the vast majority of people will do, right? If, If you've seen what happens when you make that button a different color or send that marketing email at a slightly different time and how many more people consistently every single time buy the thing or do the thing then you have to think about what happens when you put for example some big hurdles into the voting process uh, like voter <laughs> identification laws and you know you think about that and you and you know I think a lot of people would say, oh, well, if people really want to vote, they'll do it. And, you know, these things don't have any effect on them. But it does. Like, people are this... When you're designing a system, you have to think about people as this kind of, like, giant bell curve. And you are going to move that bell curve one way or the other. And no, it doesn't take away your autonomy. But those systems are so critically important. And every little detail has a huge effect on the way things come out. And so that has politicized me more, right? Like, building websites over the past few years and watching these things have huge effects on how people behave, uh, totally convinces you of the importance of government and systems
2: yeah so uh, the piece of that is like that the designer really um kind of understanding like what they need to make and like what kind of platform they need to make it in i think a lot of time designers who like really want to get like politically charged about whatever is the work that they're doing like they'll go ahead and like make a website for a thing that may or may not help people like i feel like there's a lot of websites right now that are just like here's how you talk to your local officials like we'll give you a directory for that kind of thing um which might not be the best way to get people to do in action right like uh, when, you know, one of the things I noticed a little bit on the Hillary campaign is like all the web designers at like a week or two before the election stopped designing like screens and just started knocking on <laughs> doors because that's like how they could have a bigger impact. Um, so I think like designers kind of need to like understand like what platform they need to design something in order to, like, get a thing that they want done, too.
0: That is a very real thing. That's, like, you know, law of the instrument. I'm a designer, therefore I will use design to make this thing better. And it's like, well, maybe you should <laughs> just go phone bank for the candidate yeah. you care about and, uh, right. you know, give up on making, like, a viral image that Tumblr's going to snatch up and, you know, spew all over the place. But Well, that's not, that's not different than what you said about, like, what if we just keep making e-commerce sites and then use
3: that money for something else? Like... That does that I mean I wonder that all the time of like I like designing things so I really want to find a way to design something that helps people and makes the world better but like is that just my bias and so I'm just choosing that medium and I want to do that like should I just go volunteer somewhere or donate money to somebody and just make as much money as I can and just give it away to somebody else It's a difficult question I don't
1: know if the giving money away is design but No that's what I'm saying why does it like we're
3: having the conversation because we're designers we want to see how design can be why design is political, how it can be political, what's the best use of our design skills. But Which,
0: I mean, and I do want to like make sure that we've been clear about that because I don't think, for example, if you're a designer that cares about the fact that everything's gone to hell <laughs> and, and you're trying to do your part, if your part is just that you continue to go to your job that doesn't do anything great and you want to donate some money, that's great. I, I'm not here to criticize people that that's how they want to allocate their resources, whether that's time, money, attention, whatever, if that's your way to kind of like make it make a dent in the world, that makes sense to me. Um, And and that kind of like, that's one of my like deeply held philosophies is that you can't be perfect at everything. Um, For example, I know that eating meat is terrible for the environment. It's really bad for the environment. But I also really like to eat meat. And so that's one thing where like, I choose, okay, you know, every once in a while, I'm going to have a steak. And that's really bad for the environment. But you know what? I'm also not going to own a car, so I'm not going to do that. And I'm going to avoid flying places. I'm going to take the train if I can because that's better for the environment. And, you know, I'm going to make other changes in my life that are things that I'm, you know, more comfortable giving up. Because if you put pressure on yourself to be, you know, the paradigm ideal citizen in every little sector of your life you probably go insane. Like you're just, you're, that's going to drive you up the wall because it's, it's impossible to be so perfect. Um, yeah, we have I to mean, let ourselves, let ourselves live a little bit. It's about tiny victories. Sure. Um, so given that we've talked about that though, I am also interested in the things that are innate about design, right? Because we are all here because we are designers of some, of some cloth and uh, we can do a podcast talking about how people in general could help, how citizens can help in this situation. But there is something specific about our job. We've touched on it a little bit, but our job is so often to not just communicate, but also to, in my mind, in like a perfect world, give form to an idea, right? Like there's something kind of floating around. People are kind of getting at it. But our job as designers and communicators is to like make that concrete, right? Like materialize it so that people can all kind of, get the same idea um and you know some like examples of this uh you know i think this happens a lot in language right like the black lives matter movement uh when that phrase became a hashtag became a thing all of a sudden this like kind of disparate you know activism that was kind of going off in different directions had something they could kind of unite around right and it's not that all of it is contained under that it's not that that, you know bucket contains everything that that matters about that particular issue but you know that to me is, is endemic of the work of what a designer should be doing. Like, these are the things that are kind of floating around in the ether, and we're going to, like, work to give them shape, give them form, communicate them clearly, succinctly. Um, so to that end, um, I think that's another way that, in, less practically, more theoretically, you can think about the role of a designer, right? Like, if you're going to be giving shape to ideas, uh, do it to the ones that need to be spread, I guess. Does that make any sense at all? Kind of a little bit, yeah. It sounds like a no from the <laughs> silence. <laughs> it's like I, I am obsessed with the idea of linguistic relativity, right? Which is the idea that our brains, basically, like the language of our brains, is spoken language. So, for example, like if a if a baby never learns to speak, it that baby will struggle to learn anything about the world, not just because it can't communicate with other adults that can, you know, teach it things, but also because your brain can't really hold an idea in it unless you've given it a convenient label, and we usually call a convenient label like a word. Um, And the way this, like, takes place, and there's, I'll put links in the show notes, there's all kinds of practical examples of this, right, of cultures where they have more words to describe a certain, like, spectrum of colors, therefore those humans that grow up in that culture are actually much more sensitive to changes in hue in that particular color spectrum, more so than somebody that grew up with less words for that color. Um, so I think all the time about how you, you inventing a word, you naming something actually changes the way that people's brains are able to understand it. Uh, and I think that that to me is like the, The most powerful thing design can do, right, is you think about branding, right? Making a logo for something, making a a mark that can be put on these products or put on this campaign uh, kind of makes a new way for someone to think about this thing, right? Like... Like, what is, what is a company like Nike? Sure, they're a collection of thousands and thousands and thousands of sportswear products, right, that all do different things for different audiences, for different kinds of people. And the only thing that ties that together is all of the diligent work that every designer that works at Nike has done to try and materialize what Nike is. Uh, and in, in that particular example, it's in the service of selling more stuff, right? Because if you have this bigger idea that has all these little pieces to it, then you can sell the little pieces as little kind of entry points of this bigger idea and people feel like they're a part of something and they're kind of you know brought together by this thing in a, some small way. Um, and I think in a perfect world, like that same kind of thing can happen for political engagement, right? Um, giving, and there's obvious examples of this, right? Like people want to repeal Obamacare because it's got the dude's name in it and they don't like him.
3: Like, Nobody wants to repeal the ACA, <laughs> but everybody wants to repeal no, Obamacare. No,
0: that's called the Affordable Care Act. That sounds great. Everyone loves Affordable Care, but we don't like Obama, so we're going to repeal this thing.
1: And so, that's a function of design, by changing people's perception, by just giving them giving it that different name.
0: It is, and this is not practical. I, I don't know. I can't say, okay, with this new perspective, go into your job tomorrow, designers, and, you know, <laughs> make a new message that t- brings people together and blah, 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 but that to me is like on a higher level, what like we as a culture, as designers need to be thinking about how we can possibly help because we're really good at doing that for companies, right? When when the deal is like, we got to sell some stuff. We really want to make people desire this automobile. uh, We are so good at doing that. But when it's, we want to communicate what the heck is going on in the legislative branch of our government, or we want to communicate, you know, what this you know, law actually does, and what its practical effects are on people. Uh, we collectively, as a culture, fall very far short of that, right? Uh, we we are subject to all of the malicious ways that that same kind of approach can be used to like skew people's perspectives and change people's minds, uh, and that's. That is designers doing that work, right? Whether Mm -hmm. it's people with designer on their resume or people that are doing what I'm abstractly calling design work, but they're actually consider themselves marketing people or, you know, public relations people or whatever. That idea is my idea of design. And that's doing so much harm in the world right now that it gives me, makes me sad.
1: Well, I think it's important also kind of within the context of what you're saying to, to put forth the notion that design has always been used throughout history to communicate dissent in some sort of way and when I say design I don't just mean you know graphic design I mean you could talk about fashion design you could talk about architecture these have all been used in some sort of way throughout the ages to communicate dissent against something if we are to specifically narrow it down to graphic design of course we could look at something as simple as a protest poster you know there's that saying that a picture is worth a thousand words I think we've all seen some very iconic imagery Uh, that has been used in order to communicate a certain goal. Now, that could be propaganda like what we've seen during the Cold War. It could be political posters like what we see now. Uh, But design has always been used in some kind of way to focus on enlightening social and political issues. So because we're discussing it within the context of this podcast and within the context of our current political time, it's important to note that this is not new. This is Mm -hmm. a, a continuing cycle of designers using their craft in order to communicate dissent against something
3: i I do wonder if um the the examples that we use where it's a it's a matter of simplification or consolidation like taking taking either disparate ideas or a, a more complex idea and making it simple the the only example we used in the positive was black lives matter where it uh, it does bring together many kind of different horrible events and put them under one umbrella but like is, is part of the problem, like, our tendency to try to simplify a complicated problem into a really simple either solution or buzzword or something that we maybe will even scoff at later um, and not trying to understand a bigger problem? Like, I think the Obamacare example You mean is, like
0: Coney 2012?
3: That's, that could be an example, sure. I, yeah. it,
1: I think it can be. It certainly can be. I mean, one, one example I'll give is, is Milton Glaser. So Milton Glaser has this, this popular book out uh, for those that want to check it out. It's called The Design of Descent. And it actually talks about kind of what I've been speaking about before with how design has been used throughout the ages to communicate that. Um, at one point in time, I want to say this might have been in the maybe the 70s or the 80s. Uh, there was a, a picture that he did. And you all might have seen this poster. It's a poster of a hand, but each of the fingers is tinted to match someone of a different ethnicity. And this I,
0: is the we are all African one yeah yeah, it was something yeah.
1: something to that effect where it was a good attempt you're trying I, I can see where <laughs> you're going with that but just you're you being so generous you didn't hit the mark like it, I mean I think that's but that's just with design in general that's trial and error we're not always going to get it right in that instance it was not right but um, yeah to, to what you're saying it's not something where I think actually I just lost my train of thought from that sorry <laughs> But, but no, that was that was the example that I wanted to give along that.
3: Yeah, that was an attempt to simplify a message and it came off as offensive because there you go. Right. it stripped away everything that was uh, it stripped away the nuance that would make that idea work, right? Right.
0: Yes, yeah, so oftentimes what we're trying to do is advocate for somebody understanding the complexity and you can't do that by saying, so I've simplified it for you into this poster that has six words on it, so you know, Even the that's not how get it all wrong. these things work, unfortunately.
3: Yeah. And it may just be as as uh, as easy as saying, like well, it's about how much you simplify, right? Like if you take um, a piece of legislature that is is three hundred pages long and you simplify it down into like uh, a multi a couple of pages that somebody can understand but kind of captures the essence of it versus like a single symbol, well, it seems like one of those is more understanding than the other and might be a little bit better, and you got more people to understand it like the the document version still is a better understanding of it that. That just is like it's just your degree of, of decisions of what to remove and what's important, which I think is the same as when we talk about creating a logo right It's like but stripping away what doesn't need to be there, but if you strip away something that does need to be there, then you have a problem
2: i mean there's also a reason why documents of legislation are nine thousand pages like they're designed that way for for yeah. a, a large intensive purpose yeah
0: i i uh you know we, we've worked with a number of different lawyers uh, through work and Frankly, we've been unhappy with most of them and have ended up firing many of them except for the latest one. And one of the past lawyers, we ended up firing them because we're working on them on a contract template we were going to use with certain clients. And we kept having this frustrating back and forth where I was saying, what does all this stuff mean here? I'm reading it and I understand the words, but it doesn't seem like it's adding anything. Can we take this out? And they kept on revising it and barely taking anything out. And I kept on sending back, what about this? And it had like, you know, three sentences instead of six paragraphs. And eventually the lawyer just told me straight up in an email, they were like, most of our clients like this stuff to be long so that the people signing it don't read it. And I was like, and I was like, I am not that client. I would like everyone (laughs) signing our contracts to understand exactly what they're getting into. I see that as the point of a contract. Uh, But there there is that that stuff stuff is out there. It's like these tools are being used for the right reasons and for the wrong reasons, uh, which is something that we all need to be conscious of, right? Because I do think that's why a lot of these bills are probably 900 pages, is because... You know, it's pretty easy to sneak something in when it's 900 pages long or pretty easy to tell somebody what to think about it if they don't actually have time in their corporeal life to read it all themselves and actually (laughs) understand it.
1: And I mean, you even see that on the ballots, too. I mean, certainly I know here for local referendums and amendments and things, they'll cram six questions into one thing and you either have to vote for all of them or vote against all of them.
0: Is there something to be said for educating people that are not designers about the things that we know about i feel like some of the most powerful work oftentimes comes from you know crossing crossing over some some threshold between industries between expertises between knowledges and you know if if we for example could somehow magically talk to the people that are writing the the ballot initiatives like you said and explain hey it'd be really great if someone you know Like, put yourself in a voter's shoes, be a designer, let's make this thing make sense to somebody. Is there a way we can work to educate people, both that are making these decisions in the first place to, like, make things behave a certain way, and also educate people that are just consumers of it? Like, one thing that strikes me is that we're having this whole moment right now in the world with fake news sites, right? Like, things that look on the surface, like a regular news site, because it's really easy to make a website these days, but actually contain no journalistic integrity and very oftentimes are spun up specifically as propaganda to sort of deceive people. Uh, I feel like as a designer, I have an extremely good radar for that. Is that something we can teach to people, to teach them what to trust, what not to trust? Is there a way that our experience can be shared that way?
1: Absolutely. I would hope so. I mean, I I have always been of the belief that regardless of if someone calls himself a designer by profession they have been interacting with design their entire lives everything that we use has passed through some level of design whether it's the houses we live in the clothes we wear the cars we drive someone had to make that someone had to design that based on a certain set of standards or practices or principles etc so we all know when something does or doesn't work very similar to like if you know we know laws don't work or if we go into the ballot and we Or we go into the the voting booth and we see the ballot and it's like, I don't understand what all this stuff is. I didn't know what all of this was. As designers, we know how important visual literacy is. We know how, how certain colors work towards a certain goal, how certain images work, things of that nature. So certainly we have, I think, the knowledge and the tools to put forth some kind of information to people so they can become better informed of the things that they're already familiar with just through design and through interaction just so they can become more informed and more aware of what's going on.
2: I think that's spot on. One of the things that I think about too is um, going back to like that idea of designers influencing how people consume fake news or real news. Like I think there's also a piece of it of whether that person's uh, sort of mentally allowing themselves to consider that or think that through. Um, I think like right now a lot of times like there'll be people who like say something as a fact and it doesn't really matter if it is or not because that's they just don't care they just care about who's saying it. So I found myself most recently when I get when I want to get a viewpoint across to somebody else and I know that they're not going to probably listen to me. Um, I get somebody else to say exactly what I'm saying and they sort of digest it in a different way, um, which is weird and strange. But I think that needs to be considered too because like I do think like in an age of like um sort of like a everyone keeps calling it a post truth area era, which I don't think is correct, but I do think that people have selective hearing, and who's saying whatever it is being said like kind of matters to them Actually, what do you mean? do you mind providing an
3: example like who are you getting to speak on your behalf? so someone will listen to you
2: um, then I'm just like blowing my sources um <laughs> sorry. <laughs> No, I would say that there has been in the past years some like design conversations that I've watched happen, and like I, you know, I'm very aware of how I act on the internet, and I know it doesn't land with everybody. Um, but there's been times where like somebody will like say something that I think was off or strange, and then I'll point that out in my way of saying like this is off or strange, and they won't get it, or they'll like kind of push back on me. Um, so then I'll connect with somebody else, and like. I'll be like, hey, can you just tell this person this thing? And they're like, oh, yeah, sure. And then they do. And that person's like, oh, wow, I totally didn't see it from that perspective. Like, I see that shit happened all the time.
0: Yeah, I've been on kind of the other side of that, in that I have definitely had conversations online where I've seen people have, for example, uh, let's say women explain to them for months and months and months why some stuff they're doing might be problematic. And then if I just kind of pop in and say, oh, by the way, here's that same thing, but said back to you from a white man's voice, yeah. uh, then at, at the very least, I get treated far more respectfully uh, and, totally. and less hostily. Uh, and at most, sometimes the person is merely like, oh, I never considered that. And it's like, interesting. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> interesting you've never considered that. I, so interesting. It's weird because I feel like I've seen people say that, but right. um, th- that's definitely a real thing. Um,
3: so what we should do is design some white guy masks send them out into the world and let everybody have that power there we go saying andy everybody (laughs) talk
0: like this confidently yikes (sighs) don't do that yeah be yourself be yourself and make people care about who you are don't pretend to be somebody else
2: it is weird though like it's i think you know design is so much about getting people to listen to to whatever it is that's being said and sometimes like Sometimes it just seems to be a different voice or a different face. Like I kind of joke about online, like running a fake Twitter account of just like a white dude. So somebody will listen to what I say, but then uh, I just have better things to do with my life. So I don't. Yeah. Um, we should probably start moving
0: to our closing statements. I want to close by saying that the most fundamental job this is, I'm going to reiterate these things, but no matter what you're designing, you are almost always fundamentally being asked to understand a different perspective, right? Unless you are literally the exact audience for the thing you're designing, you're maybe being asked to understand a slightly older audience, an audience with a different amount of money than you, or an audience that cares about a genre of music you don't care about. Um, No matter what you're designing, as trivial as it may seem, you are being asked to consider a different audience. And I think if you simply take that approach that you currently have in your design practice and apply that to the world around you. Consider somebody else's perspective, put yourself in their shoes, pretend that the government and the legislation you see happening is happening to someone that is not you. I think if a lot of people did that, we would be a little better off because people would have a little more understanding for people whose perspective and context is not exactly the same as theirs. And that's been my that's been a part of my personal journey making design things and thinking about design and making things for other audiences has forced me to think about that in a way that to me political engagement and progressivism is inescapable Uh, but even for people who haven't had that experience I, i would encourage you to just if you're a good designer and you're thoughtful take that process apply it to other things and see where that gets you because i think we'd all be better off if that happened matt what is your closing statement matt
3: well i now now i'm dwelling on the thing robin just said and i kind of love the idea that uh so i you know i think i know that uh the way i say something when i'm doing design work like affects greatly the way people will hear it uh or you know uh, it it in this color this typeface or whatever like the way you show a message or say it or portray it or whatever is going to change the outcome a lot and i also been feeling in the past year that uh I'm just shouting and no one is listening. And how could the world possibly be this way? What is going on? And nothing is landing or connecting uh, with the people who disagree with me. And now I kind of like the idea that maybe, maybe take some of that, that thing I think I already know, uh, try it in a different voice, try it in another way of saying it, maybe have someone else deliver the message. Uh, I know I have that, the privilege of being the white guy on Twitter who can m- maybe do the same thing you do, Andy, but maybe there's other ways to think about that. Um, that can feel more useful and not just like you're shouting at someone who has no interest in listening to you at all, even though you think you're seeing the world end.
0: Maurice, any closing thoughts for us?
1: Sure. So I would say that if you are a designer, regardless of the stripe of designer that you are, and you're listening to this and you're wondering if this is giving you more questions than answers, if you feel like there's still more that you need to do, go to your local city's website, um, There should be a tab or something on there for residents. Find your neighborhood that you're in. Find the next council meeting or neighborhood planning meeting that's going on based on where your address is and go and just get involved. I think what we're talking about a lot here, aside from it just being, you know, theory, is about putting you in the mindset to know that you have more power as a designer than you think you might have. Um, The important thing is to apply that. And so. I feel if you go to these neighborhood meetings, just sit in, listen to what your neighbor's concerns are. Think about what are ways that I can use my skills as designed to help out my neighbors with what they're working on or how I can help out my local councilman with what they're working on. It's going to be that application of what we're talking about is what's going to really make the difference. And, of course, you start locally. It hopefully will reverberate from there. But at the very least, you can know that you've done your part, that you've made something happen. Um, and it's more than just sitting necessarily behind a computer and typing out an email. You're getting out there, you're talking to people, you're being an active part of your community. As we talked before about being a citizen designer, it's about being a citizen first. So become a part of your neighborhood, get active. I'm not saying you necessarily have to go door to door and talk to people, but go to these meetings and find out ways that you can get involved and help out.
0: Robin, can you give us some closure on this subject that has no closure?
1: <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah, what I open in conversation. Um, I think that's the nature of a lot of these talks, which uh, is good. Um, you know, like a thing for me is just to figure out... Um, Kind of what I've been thinking about a lot post-election is is two ideas. One is know your enemies, and two, figure out what deserves the time that you have in a day. Um, The know your enemies piece is is complex because uh, I think... You know, if for me, being like a designer and have like how I like, like to design things and how I want a conversation to happen, I was much more, um, like stern on like things like the, the, the quote unquote small things. Um, I would be like, well, you know, because everything's so great right now, we can dive deeper on these things that are like a little bit off, but you might miss them. Um, but like you're generally on the same side as me, but I just need you to get there, right? So like that was a thing for me for a while. But post election, I've definitely been considering like this, like this know your enemies thing, which is like if you're not the worst person in the world, <laughs> then like uh, I, I might not like spend time on on that specific thing. So um, just because I know there's different things where I can like sort of like put where my mindset needs to be at the moment. So. Uh, for me, as frustrating as that is, um, that whole idea of knowing your enemies is a, a really good thing to consider, um, and then it loops back into the time thing, right? Like, uh, I think uh, like a lot of times there uh, there's specific there's a specific set of designers who will talk about things in Slack, and they'll get like really into like this idea of like we you know we have to tackle like this weird thing that Dribbble did or this thing that like some designer with two hundred followers on the internet did, um, but like really understanding like okay, you know. How much time do I have? What's mattering, like in life right now? Like, you know, if ACA is about to go under in the Senate, am I really going to write some tweets about dribble, or am I just going to call my senator, like whatever that is? Like, just really kind of taking a step back and understanding, like, uh, the overall value of whatever action you take if you only have a specific amount of time in a day to take an action in that. So, just understanding what it is that you're going to do.
0: There we go. Well, that brings us to the end of the episode. This is the beginning of well. This is a part of a conversation that I'm sure we will continue to have both on the show and off. And I I do want to take a moment to really directly thank both Robin and Maurice who on this show and in their lives in general have gone so far out of the way to help educate people (laughs) about about the way other people see the world. Uh, And that's something that I don't want anyone to take for granted. So thank you both for everything you've taught me and hopefully what you've just taught our listeners on this show. More to come. Um, So. Robin, where should people go if they want more of you in their lives? <laughs>
2: um, I'm very annoying on Twitter. Uh, it's just uh, Robin Kanner, R O B Y N K A N and i R. I'm less annoying on other various social medias. So if you like just like pretty pictures, follow me on Instagram. If you, uh, that's about it. Like that, those are the two. The two internet parts of me um you might end up in a slack with me that's fine
0: too let me just pop in to say that you are not annoying on twitter that was a lie maurice where can people <laughs> find you on the internet if they want more of you uh
1: they can go to my website MauriceCherry.com. com. there's links there for my twitter and my tumblr um and also to check out my podcast revision path it's a design podcast where i talk to black designers we've actually talked a lot on that show, I'd say maybe about four or five episodes about what we discussed here. So if you want to get some more context, definitely check out revisionpath.com. And there's links there to where we are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.
2: Cool. Oh, one last thing. Um, a very important thing is if anybody really loves the band Nada Surf and wants to talk to me about the band Nada Surf, please reach out to me.
0: <laughs> Making connections. That's all we have left is these fragile connections with people. Just <laughs> love each other, everybody.
3: This has been Working File. Thanks for listening.
0: This week, don't go on iTunes and give us five stars and write a review. And instead, write a letter to your senator and representative and tell them no. Just stop.
3: Tell them to stop everything they're doing. Light everything on fire.
0: Turn it all off. I want off this ride. Stop it.